total depravity or free will. I am looking at the differences between Calvinism and Arminianism because I have been asked to. From the outset, I want to remind my brothers and sisters in Christ that it is important for us to remain humble, not categorically making enemies of others based on whatever differences we perceive there to be in our theology. I know that what I'm speaking about uses certain terms that easily trigger some. I want to encourage you to, instead of taking a term at face value, understand how it is being defined. This is how we keep ourselves from sounding ignorant. We come to the doctrines of total depravity and free will. When a Calvinist claims that people do not have free will, he typically does not mean that unilaterally. Keep in mind the Calvinist is operating by Calvinistic language. Understand what he means by free will before starting an argument. It may be that you define free will differently and therefore have started an argument without understanding terms. An argument that accomplishes nothing aside from producing enmity between you and another person. Similarly, when the Arminian claims that someone does have free will, he means a certain type of free will. And we should pay attention to definitions instead of unilaterally agreeing or disagreeing. This is the problem that categorical acceptance or rejection causes. We can easily misunderstand others and unnecessarily make them into enemies when they are actually sound brothers and sisters. And just because we think we are talking about the same thing, free will, when we probably have defined the same term in different ways and are therefore talking about two completely different concepts. This is why communication is difficult, by the way, and we ask God for wisdom in our relationships. Learning how to consider what others mean instead of only arguing semantics will go a long way as you seek to do well in all of your relationships. So, let's define our terms. When the Remonstrance, Arminianism, when the Remonstrance was published, it defined the doctrine of free will in this way. Election and condemnation are thus conditioned by foreknowledge and made dependent on the foreseen faith or unbelief of men. Modern-day explanations define the doctrine this way, and I quote, This states that through, though man is fallen, he is not incapacitated by the sinful nature and can freely choose God. His will is not restricted and enslaved by his sinful nature. Now, the claim is that people's wills are not incapacitated by sin, so their will is free from the effects of the fall in Genesis 3. Of course, the natural conclusion to draw from this line of thinking is that people have perfect wills because their wills are not enslaved by their sinful natures. They can will to honor Christ and reject sin without first being born again. As a result, God predestines people based on his foreknowledge of their choosing him, an act that is possible because their will is unimpeded by the effects of sin. And when the Synod of Dort responded to this claim in particular, the council stated that all men have sinned in Adam, they lie under the curse, and are deserving of eternal death. God would have done no injustice by leaving them all to perish and delivering them over to condemnation on account of sin, 
according to the words of the apostle, that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. It's Romans chapter 3 verse 19. And for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3 23. And for the wages of sin is death. Romans 6 23. Uh, the Synod of Dort also said the cause or guilt of this unbelief as well as of all other sins is no wise in God. It's not God's fault, but in man himself. Whereas faith in Jesus Christ and salvation through him is the free gift of God, as it is written, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. Likewise, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. Now, the council wrote much more to be considered, and I invite you to go read it for yourself. But when they argued against what is now called the doctrine of free will, they quoted scripture to show that every part of every person is, in fact, affected by sin. We are fallen creatures. We are such fallen creatures that the wages of our sin is death. Now that includes the death of the mind and the will. It is why we need a Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, If our wills were not incapacitated by our sin nature, and we could will to overcome sin and honor God, why would we need Christ at all? How could people ever, in that case, reject God? Now, to frame this doctrine in terms of free will is a little misleading. So that I can provide some clarity, no one is claiming that people don't have the ability to make decisions and follow through with those decisions. No one is claiming that we are mindless robots. In that sense, people do, indeed, have the freedom to choose and act according to their own desires. What is in question are the effects of sin on the person. Are people dead in their sins or not? If we are, then we cannot overcome our sinful nature by any matter of our will or striving or work. This is what the Calvinist means when he insists that people do not have free will, an unfortunate term that has been appropriated by Arminians to describe their anthropology and a term that is thus used in response. If we are not dead in our sin, we can overcome our sinful nature by some manner of our will or striving or work. And this is what the Arminian means when he says that people do have free will. Now let's consider the story and the Romans wrote. When people sinned against God, death was the consequence. We see that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 3. As a result, people were cut off from the tree of life. That's Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. Even if people wanted to take of the fruit, eat, and live forever, that option is simply not available to them because they sinned against God. So, total depravity may be framed in terms of uh, not free will, but instead our ability to reach out and take from the tree of life. We are cut off because of sin. Even if we wanted to, we cannot live forever because of that sin. We are completely affected by sin nature. We are dead in our sin. And we also observe the Romans' road to salvation. 
Romans chapter 1 verse 21 says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations or thinking, and their foolish heart was darkened. Sin has affected the mind, the brain, the will. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even if we want to be glorious like God, we have all sinned, and because of our sin nature, we fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6 verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death is the thing we earn by our sin, uh, by our self-will. That is the thing we choose, but God's gift is free, and not the result of anything we do. It is free, and it is a gift, not a result of any working or striving or thinking or willing of our own. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now this is a little simplistic, but perhaps that's all we need. People became futile in their thinking, their wills. Uh, because of these noetic effects of sin, we all fall short of God's glory. We are unable to attain God's glory. If we have sinned, we are dead. But there is good news. The free gift of God, which does not depend on our fallen minds or wills, is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And anyone who confesses Jesus as Lord and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead will in fact be saved. Although we cannot take from the tree and eat of our own ability, God has made himself available by his will, by grace, in Christ Jesus. And those who believe in Christ are saved. Now, if people truly had perfect will that were unaffected by the sinful nature, it seems to me that all people would choose to perfectly obey God and be righteous. But people reject God. A lot of people reject God. And not only does Scripture tell us that people are dead in their trespasses, even having their minds bound by their sinful nature, but common observation also leads us to believe that people don't typically want what is best for themselves. The human will is fallen. It is affected by sin. It is free in the sense that we are perfectly capable of making decisions and following through with those decisions, even religious ones. But the fruit of the tree of life is beyond our grasp. We must trust Jesus to provide it. And without Jesus, we are totally depraved. That is, totally incapable of attaining life by our own wills or works. Jesus actually had to atone for our sins. Jesus actually has to regenerate our hearts. We actually have to be born again of the Spirit. And you can read that in John chapter 3. Now, I have a few friends who pick on me for being a Calvinist, even though they are technically Calvinists too, just without using the same semantic framework to describe their theology. One friend sent me this amazing meme where the congregation was singing, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. 
And of course, the Calvinist in the meme was marching out saying, I don't think so, pal. Sadly, this is the automatic perception of Calvinists, I think, because of the recent young, restless, and reformed group that made such unnecessary noise. We must be born again, yes, but then we also decide to follow Jesus. At that point of new birth, regeneration, Jesus is available to us. We are totally incapable of saving ourselves. Christ has made a way. We get to confess and believe in response to the good work he has started, and we receive some promises in Scripture as a result. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8 verses 38 and 39 say, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he, that's God, who began a good work in you, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so, I ask, do you believe that people can make themselves righteous? Or do you believe that salvation is in Christ alone? Because that's the real question here.